From Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, I'm Amber Smith. This is HealthLink on Air. The measles situation in America is escalating, so here to help us make sense of what's happening and also to give us a rundown on childhood vaccinations is Dr. Yana Shaw. She's a pediatrician who specializes in infectious diseases at Upstate Golisano Children's Hospital. Welcome back to HealthLink on Air, Dr. Shaw. Thank you for having me. Can you describe for me how, va- how it is that vaccines work? What do they do in our bodies? So vaccines are like schools for children. Essentially, vaccines, what they do, they educate our immune system. So when the enemy attacks, the system is ready. So vaccines contain a variety of different uh, particles. Uh, They contain what's called antigen, which is a particle that essentially uh, allows the immune system to recognize the enemy. And then we have adjuvants, essentially substances that help to augment and strengthen the immune response. And then vaccines contain some preservatives to make sure that the vaccines are free of contamination. So upon inoculation, upon vaccination, the immune system sees um, the antigen and responds to it um, in a safe and controlled manner. And that alone allows the immune system to build protection from the the real infection um, when it occurs. So in the case of measles, if I was vaccinated for measles, my immune system should be able to recognize if, if measles, if I'm exposed to that again. Right. If you still have antibodies, um, and actually if you were born before 1957 in general, people were not required to be vaccinated um, because measles circulated uh, broadly. Um, So if you have antibodies, um, the antibodies in your system will neutralize the measles virus, and therefore the virus will not get a chance to uh, propagate and will not get a chance to get you ill. If people now are getting immunized against measles because of the outbreak, how long until they're protected? Is it an immediate protection or does it take time to... So it does take time. Usually it takes a couple of weeks for the uh, immune responses to build enough antibodies so the virus can be neutralized. New York City has declared a public health emergency and the number of cases of measles across the nation is on the rise. So why is measles has reemerged? Why is that? Well, in the U.S., since the measles have been declared eliminated in 2000, we have seen increased rise of anti-vaccination movement, and we have seen a rise of um, people who refuse vaccines. So in the U.S., since then, we have seen importations of measles into communities um, that don't vaccinate. So this particular outbreak that you're describing in New York City and the public health emergency declaration pertains to specific communities in certain boroughs of unvaccinated individuals. So we're looking kind of at the last 20 years or about that time frame, and it's sort of the lack of vaccination that is fueling this? Absolutely. Um, You know, in order for the community to be protected from measles, at least 95% of the individuals living in the community have to be vaccinated. Otherwise, the virus gets opportunity to be transmitted and infect those who are vulnerable and susceptible. Well, we're going to get into the concept of herd immunity. um, But I want to talk a little about measles. If I understand correctly, in wealthy nations, there's a one in 1,000 chance, like one person dies for every thousand who contract measles. That seems alarming. Yeah, so one in 1,000 infected um, individuals can die from measles, and they 
typically die either from respiratory illness, such as pneumonia, or neurological illness, brain infection. So that's pretty high risk if you think about it. Um, and uh, having a very safe uh, vaccine, that's very effective as well. Uh, one would um, argue that vaccination should be the choice and we will get into some of the reasons people are have been lax and not been vaccinated. But let me ask you, with the measles outbreak, people who were vaccinated as children, are they safe? Are they protected against this measles outbreak? So in general, they are. But unfortunately, what we do see with vaccines, and that's not unique to measles vaccines um, alone, is that vaccines can fail over time. So once you vaccinate someone, the person will develop seroprotection, will develop um, immune protection from the vaccination, but that protection may not last forever. So even if you are vaccinated at a very young age, and now you are maybe elderly, you might be vulnerable. Uh, are doctors recommending elderly people re-examine or, or see about getting vaccinated again at this point? No, not at this point. Uh, at this point, we are focusing on getting vaccinated those who are not vaccinated at all so we can stop the spread of measles because measles has been currently transmitted primarily in the communities of unvaccinated individuals. Well, I was going to ask you, if, if, if I'm vaccinated, why should I care if people around me are not? But you sort of answered that. Even though I'm vaccinated, my vaccine may have waned over time. Yes. So especially if you are older, you know, you may not have um, the antibodies or the serum protection um, that uh, you will require to be protected uh, from infection. You will likely be protected from severe disease and you will likely not transmit infection. But at the same time, you may be still vulnerable to getting infected. All right. So why is it a problem for people who say, I don't want to be vaccinated? Why is that a problem for the community? So it is a problem um, for the community because those people, um, especially as they increase in number, they create a contagion of, vol of people who can transmit the virus. Uh, not only they will get infected and then they will subsequently transmit infection. Measles virus is uh, one of the most highly contagious viruses, and 90% of individuals who are not vaccinated will contract infection. It spreads very easily. It's spread by air, and the virus uh, persists in the environment. You know, a good example is if you're on an airplane with someone, even two hours later, the virus will still be in the environment. So it's, it's, a, it's a pesty, um, you know, virus that um, has to be taken very seriously. Not only it transmits easily, it causes serious illness. So if there's someone who contracts measles somehow, but they're surrounded by people who've been vaccinated, the disease isn't going to necessarily spread. But if they're surrounded by people who haven't been vaccinated, it could take off. That's, that's exactly um, how it works. Um, that's why it's really important that everybody who can be vaccinated is vaccinated so we can protect those in our among us who cannot be vaccinated. And those would be very young children, infants, pregnant women, elderly, people who live with cancer, people who receive medication that suppresses their immune system. Those are people who cannot be safely vaccinated and they rely on us and our civic responsibility 
to get vaccinated so they can be protected. So there are some legitimate medical reasons that a person might not be able to be vaccinated. Yes, they are. And um, the healthcare providers can guide each um, individual patient and um, explain which one those reasons would be. Um, uh, certainly, there are what are called medical contraindications. There are medical reasons why you cannot receive me- uh, measles vaccine. Um and um, providers would not vaccinate you if you have those. Well, let's talk about some of the what's keeping people from vaccination. Is is cost a reason that someone would not get their child vaccinated in America? Cost should not be an issue, uh, particularly uh, for a pediatric population. Um, if a child is not um, insured or doesn't have insurance, um, uh, the government provides providers with vaccines for children, um, um, so those vaccines are free uh, to to parents. So cost should really not be an issue. What about access? Are there people that who just don't have a pediatrician or don't see a doctor and they just don't bother mm-hmm. seeking out a public health clinic? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so access remains a problem uh, for certain socioeconomic groups. Um, those would be individuals who live in areas where transportation is an issue, such as rural areas, areas where there is a shortage of providers, Um areas where public transportation may not be readily available. Um, so that certainly is a cause of under immunization in the United States, but it's not a large um, chunk of those under vaccinated um, among us. This is Upstate's HealthLink on Air. I'm your host, Amber Smith, and I'm talking with upstate pediatric infectious disease expert, Dr. Yana Shaw, uh, about measles and childhood vaccinations. Now, there's been an anti-vax movement in America, and I, I guess there's been some anti-vax sentiment going back decades or centuries even. Um, but what is it that, that got this going, uh, mm-hmm. and how has it reached such a, a high level of people who are opposed to vaccinating? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, so you're right. Um, uh, vaccine hesitancy or anti-vaccination sentiments are not a new problem. I mean, back in 1905, Jacobson versus Massachusetts is a classic example of a Supreme Court ruling that, you know, individual right uh, will be superseded by um, court's decision um, when it means that uh, vaccination benefits others. Um, and that one dealt with smallpox. That dealt with smallpox, okay. right. And back then, the Supreme Court voted that, you know, your right may be um, subjected to uh, governmental uh, imposition of vaccination because it benefits community and others around you. Nowadays, the anti-vaccination movement has been rising um, And it's not clear uh, why. We know the reasons why anti-vaccination parents um, or proponents cite. For some of them, it's a concern about vaccine safety. For some of them, they feel that vaccines are no longer needed. For some of them, they feel they're rights are being violated. They feel they should be able to choose uh, whether they vaccinate their children, so on and so forth. So the myriad of uh, reasons why parents do not vaccinate is, is broad. So you mentioned vaccine safety, and, and people are there's some people who are very skeptical of that. And there's actually, if you look back, there are examples of problems with vaccines 
the Salk polio vaccine in the 50s, DTP in the 70s. I mean, we hear about these things Mm -hmm. going back. And then there's also a bunch of bad information that's out there. So how do you reassure people uh, that vaccines are safe? How do we know they're safe? Mm-hmm. So that's an excellent question. You know, we in the U.S. we are very fortunate to have um, extensive vaccine safety monitoring systems in place. Uh, um, they include active surveillance systems such as vaccine safety data link. We have a prism that's sort of um, is a vaccine safety monitoring under FDA. You know, there are um, other passive surveillance systems that um, continue to monitor vaccine safety, such as VAERS or CISA. So uh, we know vaccines are safe because we have the opportunity to study rare adverse events um, through those systems. For example, you know, if um, there is a bad outcome uh, that's appears to be associated with vaccination. We nowadays have a surveillance system that can look at millions um, individuals and the population who have received vaccine and can be compared to those who have not. And that's how we can safely say whether a certain adverse event is associated with vaccination or not. Do vaccines, I mean, uh, the FDA goes through some rigorous testing of medications before they're approved. Do vaccines go through something like that before they're allowed to be used? Mm-hmm. Yes, so. they do. The uh, vaccine development is subjected to very rigorous um, testing, um, you know, clinical trials to go through a variety of different stages before uh, vaccines are released on the market. And in addition, after the vaccines are released, we have the post-licensure surveillance systems that monitor vaccine safety. And those are the systems that I have mentioned earlier. Those are all post-licensure. So when I've gotten my flu vaccine, I've noticed they have. there's a number that they write down mm-hmm. and, and give me a copy of that tracks and tells them exactly mm-hmm. which dose I got. Is that part of the... That's part of it, yeah. Okay. I think they wrote down the lot number of the vaccine because if people will come down with unexpected adverse events, they can then track it to certain lots. Okay. Now, if someone is listening to this, um, a young adult, and they um, did not get vaccinated as a child, and they want to at this point, is it too late to go back? I mean, the childhood vaccinations start in infancy, and there's a bunch of them um, all through childhood. So is it too late for someone who's a young adult to catch up? No, it's not. Um, if you're not vaccinated and you want to get vaccinated, uh, go talk to your provider. You can be safely vaccinated and caught up so you're protected. All right. Now, you um, have a study with some colleagues that involved surveying 7th and 8th graders in a suburban middle school in upstate New York. Um, can you tell us what you found? Yes. Yeah, that was a study that looked at uh children in middle school, as you said, seventh and eighth graders. And we are interested to learn about their knowledge and attitudes towards vaccination. For the seventh graders, we just ask about vaccines in general. For eighth graders, we were specific about HPV vaccine. And what we learn is that um, boys and girls have different concerns about vaccines. Boys thought that vaccines are safer than girls. And we also f- learn that 
in general, teens are interested in learning more about vaccines and that they would like to participate in the vaccine decision process when they when they visit their doctor. Um, so the studies sort of um, made us aware that the teens are, uh, would like to know more about vaccines, would like to be part of the decision, and um, uh, would like to take a little bit more proactive role in the healthcare decisions. That's interesting. Well, as a pediatrician yourself, uh, at what age do you think kids should have a say in whether they're vaccinated? Well, I'd like certainly to see that earlier than after they are 18 when they don't need parent to consent. Um, 13 seems like the right age. Um, Of course, there might be individual differences and the maturity level of uh, children at 13 years of age may vary. So there might be a need for some uh, discretion on behalf of the pediatrician or the provider to sort of determine whether the teen is mature enough to make that decision. But 13 seems about right. Well, thanks so much for talking about this with me. My guest has been Dr. Yana Shaw. She's a pediatric infectious disease expert at Upstate Golisano Children's Hospital. I'm Amber Smith for Upstate's podcast and talk show, HealthLink on Air.